It's a big question. When should I invest in conversion optimization for my website? Now, even though I've been preaching the benefits of CRO since 2006, I don't consider it an obvious decision. But if I'm going to truly help you improve your online business, I have to help you answer this question. When is the right time to invest in conversion optimization? The problem is, I have a conflict. It's easy for me to say, well, just hire my company, Conversion Sciences. In fact, it's my fiduciary duty as managing partner to say that. Getting new clients is one of the goals of this podcast, and it's why we spend so much time and money on it. I am eminently qualified to answer this question because of my many years' experience in this market. But I'm not going to be the best source of information on this because I am biased. So I did something crazy, something that arguably violates my fiduciary duty to my company. Don't tell my partner. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to get the results their business needs. It delivers intended consequences, and I'll teach you how to harness it. You're so close to your website that it's really hard for you to understand how a new-to-file customer is engaging with the site and the problems that they're going to have, because they don't know your product line. They don't know how to filter the products. They don't know how to get to the categories that they need or to even understand if it's a good fit for them, uh, like you would. To help make you better at investing in conversion optimization services, I did something I might regret. I invited a direct competitor onto this podcast. Why would I, after all of my investment in producing and marketing this podcast, offer a platform to a competitor? Because you need a second opinion. Rather than make you go out and find that second opinion, I'm going to provide it to you right here on the podcast. I believe that if I help you answer the question, when is the right time to invest in conversion optimization, you will make a better decision. I also believe that our reputation, our brand value, and our track record make our brand strong. Strong brands take risks, especially those risks that can benefit their customers and prospects. Now, there are a lot of websites that need conversion optimization out there, and I think there's plenty of business to go around. So to help you make the right decision about buying conversion optimization service, I didn't just choose some slouch conversion agency spewing best practices. John McDonald is the founder and president of conversion optimization agency, The Good. He's been doing this almost as long as I have. I have to tell you, I was really surprised at how similar our two approaches are. And John's path is very similar to mine overall. Let's listen to how he got started. So I'm always curious about how people get to where they are at uh, the stage in life when they happen to be on the Intended Consequences podcast. You're very much like me. You're the founder and president of a conversion optimization agency. And I'm curious to hear how similar our stories are. How did you get here? And you can go back as far as you want, high school, college, whatever's relevant. Sure thing. So I have a computer science degree in college, and I was the person in class who would spend more time on the UI and UX than I would on the code. 
What I mean by that is I would, I would do everything I needed to do to meet the requirements to get the code to work and function and get my grade there. But then I would spend a lot of time on the interface and how that looked. And I was more interested in the human-computer interaction side and the UX side than I was in the algorithms and everything that would go behind that. And so when I graduated, I went to work with a startup ad agency. It was a couple of Madison Ave guys out of New York who had worked at large agencies and were a little older and decided to move to Cleveland, Ohio, where they were from and start up a ad agency. They knew nothing about digital. So what was their goal? Well, let's get a kid straight out of college with a comp sci degree. He'll know everything he needs to know about digital, building websites, and we'll put him in charge of, of running that for us. So here I was, 21, 22, right out of college, basically helping build websites for major corporations uh, with a, a couple of guys who've been in the ad industry for years. And I really found that that was a great crossover of utilizing the technical skills and the visual and consumer experience skills that I love so much. Um, so did that for a handful of years, kind of found myself thrown into the fire, really got my entrepreneurial spirit from that, really enjoyed it. Ended up moving out to Portland, Oregon, and I've been here for 17 years now. That's quite a difference from uh, Cleveland. I will tell you it is. You know, Cleveland was great to me. When I grew up in Columbus, so I'm an Ohio boy through and through. But after graduating college and living in Cleveland for a little bit, I always wanted to come out to the West Coast and had an opportunity to move to Portland. Uh, skip forward a few years after working for a management consulting firm running their digital side, I ended up splitting off to when that company sold to start the good. And we start out really building e-com websites. That was, you know, where we started was an e-commerce agency. So we've always had that e-commerce angle. And as you probably know, Brian, 15 years ago now, CRO was not a thing, right? It just wasn't a term. So even though, you know, when, when I started the good, it's been 11 years now. Has it been 11 years? Really? It's been 11 years. You've been It'll doing be this almost as long as I have. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, as you know, it's a wild ride over 11 years, right? And we've seen it kind of grow from nothing into into something. And it's been a great, great to ride that industry wave and kind of help kind of set the direction of it like you guys have as well. So what we would always do is bake into every contract for a build of an e-com website that we would optimize that website for at least three months after it launched. Now, I did this for two reasons, Brian. One was that I always wanted to set the proper expectation that at launch, nothing was going to be perfect, right? It was me setting that expectation up not only for the customer and the client, but also for our, our employees that, guys, look, I understand there's going to be some issues. There might be some bugs. There's going to be some things that we're going to rush out the door to hit the deadline for launch and that we want to circle back on and spend a little more time and attention to. But also, we'll do our best to base what we're building off of data of how the customers are engaging with that brand before we launch. But once we launch that new site, we need to also be paying attention at that point to how consumers are engaging with the website and optimize based on that data. Well, at the time, as I just mentioned, there was nobody knew what conversion optimization was. We didn't call it that. Um, it wasn't a, a term that people responded to. It was very, very rarely being used if at all. 
What did you call it? We called it ongoing optimization or continual optimization. And I just baked it into every contract. Yes, we charged a little bit more for it. So we were more expensive than some competitors. But what I also found a few years into that was what is extremely true today is that e-commerce development is a commodity. Now, what was happening was Shopify had just come out, was becoming somewhat popular. All these other platforms now, big commerce, et cetera, are SaaS, right? Software as a service. So you really don't need massive technical skill sets anymore to launch an e-com website. Uh, you can plug together a bunch of different third-party tools and have everything you need for you without really needing to custom build much of anything. So I saw that trend happening. And what I decided to do was pivot the company into just optimization. And I decided to do that because, A, that was where my interest lied and passion. It aligned with our mission, which our mission at The Good is to remove all of the bad online experiences until only the good ones remain. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a small uh, goal. Hey, you know, we're aim high, right? <laughs> and so... <laughs> But I think at the same time, what, what I noticed was every time I spoke to one of our customers or clients, and I actually did a road trip when I was thinking about pivoting, I, I took a couple of weeks and I just traveled around the country talking to all of our customers. And how long ago was that? It was about two years after starting the company. And what I said was, you know, why did you decide to work with the good? What was your deciding factor? And I was really looking to understand you know, what our unique proposition was. And they all said, because you came to us and said, we want to optimize the site after it launches. And that was what we found valuable. And it made it even more crystal clear to me that, look, development itself is a commodity. A lot of people are getting degrees in this and there's specific programs now, certificates, and you can go online and, and just learn how to program. And a lot of this is being offshored for a lot less uh, expensive than what I would have to charge here. And so I looked at that and I said, okay, well, if everyone saw the value in the optimization, that's what we should be doing. It's what we're passionate about. It aligns with our mission and it's what people are, want. So we should be thinking about that. You know, there's an, uh, another way to look at, at, at this. And um, for those agencies in the audience, uh, pay attention. I've, I've always wondered why more agencies haven't grabbed on to the optimization piece of things because they can turn a three-month, a six-month, nine-month website development process, which has a lot of competition, although the creative side of things still can generate some nice margins, but turn that into a an, add another three months, add another six months. And if you're really good at this, you turn a website development project into a customer of one, two, three years, I uh, continue to be amazed at how, uh, how hard it is to get that message through. I'm always surprised too, because I think the, the pinnacle of running a professional services firm is to be an expertise-based firm. And the only way to be an expertise-based firm is to, is to focus and once you focus, you'll start to get that recurring revenue. So it's kind of this one thing after another. And if you don't do any of those steps, then you're not going to get to the next one. Well, I hear so many agency owners talk about wanting recurring revenue. And that's great to some degree. But if you're not focused enough, you know, what are you going to be selling? Hosting? Yeah, I mean, maybe high margin, but you're not going to make a whole lot of money on that, right? Um, you can do ads 
uh, you know, by marking up Google AdWords, but you still, you know, I think that's still high competition area, not really focused if you would, but I, you know, I think you really have to, to follow those steps. And the first step is, is really to be focused. Conversion optimization really is website redesign. We're redesigning the website. We're just doing it in a much more data-driven and what will probably look to most folks like a more plotting method, but that's, that's what we do. Yeah. Incremental, right? That's how I like to, to think of it is, is we're incrementally redesigning a website and yes, it's doing it by data. So data back decisions. And I think the biggest mistake people can make is just blanket overhaul their website all at once because you're taking so many guesses. Well, I think though that we suffer from a little vocabulary problem. So first of all, the word optimization, let alone conversion rate optimization is not sexy. And when we say like, we're going to redesign your website incrementally, incrementally doesn't sound very exciting. And a lot of these redesigns are the result of uh, a new vice president of marketing coming in, wanting to uh, make his or her stand, you know, difference and, or an executive coming in saying, oh, we haven't redesigned this in four years. We can probably get a website redesign out of the client because these are usually bigger dollar projects. And I think that's one of the things that we struggle with. Well, I think as an agency, that's true. First of all, I think of an agency that there is this wave that most agencies participate in that I've always strived to not be part of. And what I mean by that wave is you land that, that several hundred thousand dollar redesign rebuild and you have to staff up and have all the resources and you're working on it and life's great. And then that client's done. And if you haven't found the revenue to replace that yet, then you have this trough and you're like, okay, what do I do? And all the margins that you made on that large project, you're now eating away at having all this staff and all these team members and everything that you still have to pay, but they're not very be being very utilized. And then you land that next big project and it's just this wave. And a lot of agencies chew through their staff because they hire up and then as soon as that project's on, if they haven't been able to replace it, they let them go and then they hire up again, let them go. And I never wanted to participate in that. And so I always strove to, to find a way to even that out. And the incremental approach, well, not sexy. It, it has even that out for the good. Well, let's dive into the, the question at hand here. So uh, helping folks understand when they should start investing in conversion optimization. Uh, let's put aside the, the, the truism that everyone is doing conversion optimization. That's the reason we put websites up is to get, or at least on the business side of things, is to get more people to uh, buy our thing, subscribe to our service, uh, start a conversation with us as a lead. And I want to kind of start with uh, who shouldn't be con investing dollars in conversion optimization specifically, which is measuring, collecting data. Is there a website that you would say, no, you guys need to really focus on something else at this point? Well, I think a good limiter on that can be traffic levels. And that's just a good high level metric to look at um, for a couple of reasons. The main reason being, if you're not getting the traffic and engagement to even prove your product is sustainable, then you really shouldn't be investing in, in optimizing. What I mean by that is I can't, no conversion optimization specialist is going to be able to help you optimize your product, right? That's not the business we're in. So if your product is not something people want 
and you haven't been able to prove that there's a demand and a need and a desire for that product, then probably shouldn't be doing optimization. I get a ton of phone calls from folks who, you know, see our website, find us, and they say, I really want to optimize because I'm not getting the sales I should have, but, you know, I'm only getting, you know, 5,000 visitors a week to my site. What do I need to do? And it's like, well, you know, have you invested anything in driving traffic just to see if that you can actually get people to buy this product? And are you sure the product is a good product market fit? And if they can't answer that question, then typically that's, I say, okay, you know what? Don't spend any money with us. Go spend as much as you can to drive traffic and run some ads and make sure your product will sell. And once you have a good product, then let's talk about how I can help you fix all the barriers that are along the way of people making a decision about whether your product is the right fit for them and then make it easy for them to convert once they've made that decision. And I think that's why I'm I'm excited about at least teaching people how to experiment. Because if you do have a product that you haven't yet proven in the marketplace, the tools that you and I use to make decisions about what designs, what content is going to improve conversion rates can be used to validate that. In fact, I've I've given it a name. I call it the maximum viable non-product. You can really put a landing page up with your guess about what features, uh, what words, what images are going to get people to be interested in buying, drive some traffic to that and start to experiment and play with those words and those concepts to find out, number one, do you have a good idea? Number two, can you put the words together to dream it up? So beyond traffic, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. When do you get called? What What's the trigger for people to call you in which you're saying like, oh, if only you had reached out to me six months ago what's the kind of the too late i don't think it's ever too late but the don't wait till this point what are those triggers in your customers minds i often get calls from sem or seo firms who have clients that are spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars with them and they're not getting a return on that traffic spend investment and my question to them is always, okay, well, what's the goal here? And they said, well, I don't want to lose this client. So I'm hoping you can help get them to convert better so that they see a higher return on their ad spend. And they don't see that as an opportunity for them to go in and say like, wait a minute, here's some new services we can offer, landing page optimization. Well, I think there are firms that have been trying to do that, but I think you know this as well as I do, that this is an expertise-based field and you have to have the right team and the right skill sets. And most the problem I see with most of those SEO, SEM firms is they go out and they hire one person who says they do CRO. And maybe they've run some A-B tests and maybe they can talk a high level good game to people who don't know the ins and outs of CRO. But we both know this is not a one person game. You really need specialized people who, you know, can do all the different areas that CRO needs to get into, right? Like you can't expect somebody to be able to code an advanced test who also comes up with that advanced test, who can also put together user testing questions and run that type of more qualitative research. And on the development side, you can't bring in a CRO person and just use your backend developers because it does take a very unique way of looking at the, the way you're developing code to build out these test variations using some of the front end tools that we typically use. Exactly. Right. So I, I you know, the, challenge I see here is that people who do try to do that on their own either go down in flames or they aren't very effective at it. And they may have the occasional, you know, big win or whatever, but 
most of the time what they're doing is they're Googling how to do certain types of tests or how to optimize landing pages or any of those generic terms, right? That you and I would probably have fun with, but they look at that and, you know, they, they come across checklists that are very generic instead of that very specific data backed plan for that specific customer based on their site visitors actions. And that's really where things get, uh, you know, where the opportunity is, where things get interesting. In general, we'll see um, people come in, as as you said, um, their return on ad spend has dropped below one or one and a half, whatever their goals are, or they've just completed a redesign and the redesign conversion rate is lower than the, the old site. Surprised at how many times I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. And um, in a few cases, the situation where they have built an in-house team and uh, have spent a specific case, a year and a half optimizing and have not seen the fruits of, uh, of that effort. And there's a, I think there's a, for those of you that are looking to build an in-house team, there is a, an activity that I think illustrates the likelihood of failure. And that is they have a lot of, they said they had regular brainstorming meetings for hypotheses. So they bring a bunch of people together and they would talk about what we should test next. And I think that is one of those things that needs to be disciplined in a different way. Uh, you want to talk about how you guys select uh, hypotheses, select ideas, and vet them for uh, an A-B test? Well, again, as we've been saying, data-backed is the key here. So what we do is uh, we want to look at both qualitative and quantitative data, right? So we always are, are doing a two, two different angles of this. Uh, we have team members who are deep diving into the analytics. We want to track every click and movement. And as you know, most of this is an aggregate, right? So there's no privacy concerns, et cetera. But really what we're looking for here is where are people dropping off in the funnel? Why are they having those challenges? And what information is missing? Or if it's on the site, why is it not getting seen? And then on you know the uh, more qualitative side, you know, we're looking to understand why people are having the challenges, what they're thinking as they go through the site and what they wish was there, right? So we do, I don't know what you guys do for, for user testing. We do remote unmoderated. We use usertesting.com's platform for that. We've been using Validately. Okay. And you've had a good experience with that tool? Uh, very good experience and a little bit less expensive. We offer, uh, we offer unlimited user testing as part of our, our packages because we think that it's just making us better. It, and it does, right? Because it is something that is necessary to understand not only what people are actually doing, but what they're thinking at each step before they take those actions. So the, the qualitative side is really going to give us that information. We call them those facepalm moments where you're like staring and looking at it, you know, 10 people between you and the customer will have missed something that is so obvious and you're only going to see it when you send somebody through and ask them to comment while they're trying to solve a problem. <laughs> I say this all the time that the site owners or the e-com managers or VP of e whatever that role is that we're working with, they had a hand in designing the site typically or determining the navigation and product categories. They had a hand in the site and or they're on the site every single day. So they know that site inside and out and they're not going to be the best ones to be bringing those hypotheses to the table. And the, the hypotheses need to come from actions of the actual users who aren't on the site every day. 
And the hand palm moments usually, or face palm moments, usually come from the fact that, um, and I say this quite often, it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar. You're so close to your website that it's really hard for you to understand how a nudifile customer is engaging with the site and the problems that they're going to have because they don't know your product line. They don't know how to filter the products. They don't know how to get to the categories that they need or to even understand if it's a good fit for them um, like you would. I heard that from Brian Eisenberg, who actually got me into this back in the day. Um, and uh, it is face palm. Did I say hand palm? Uh, I don't know. I think I messed that up. It doesn't matter. They got the message. <laughs> I think people get the message. So I kind of interrupted you, but uh, you were talking about user testing um, for some of that qualitative input. You had mentioned analytics as for some of that quantitative input. Well, so every every click and movement, right? So the heat maps, scroll maps, uh, session recordings, of course. The reality is, as you know, Brian, there's so much data out there that you can get access to on your, about your site right now. And you can get it all anymore without coming up against GDPR or the new California regulations because you're not collecting personally identifiable information. And I think that's where most brands have an issue up front. I can't tell you the number of times I'm interested here if you have the same challenge where we start to engage and I'm like, hey, can you put these scripts on your site? And, you know, just these snippets just so we can collect data for a little bit. And, you know, the first response is our lawyer says we can't do that. Or our in-house counsel says we can't do that. And I, I don't know if you've seen, but a lot of the tools out there have done a really good job. Uh, one tool we we love and utilize a lot is called Hotjar. I'm sure you know of it. It, it. They've done an amazing job of combating that on the homepage of their site. It's just a whole section of the homepage that says, you know, here are our policies and how we adhere to these guidelines. And it's not a problem. So anymore, I'm able to just send that link off to the legal team. And, and it's usually not a problem from there. Yeah, and their algorithm for for hiding that uh, personal information, entering email addresses, credit card numbers, and things like this is is really good. I haven't seen an exception where it's it's missed. You know, from the session recording and heat map recording, we really like Crazy Egg. So Hotjar is nice because it provides a, a, a basic tool uh, across the board: heat map recording, session recording, polls, funnel tracking, form tracking, things like that. But Crazy Egg offers uh, some some better segmentation. And um, it's a little bit more expensive. And then you have to piece it together with something. They're starting to do session recordings. The bottom line is there's so many options out there for uh, this heat map data. It's showing up in, in tools everywhere from, well, the A-B testing tools, but you're starting to see it in email tools and all sorts of things. So uh, it's, a, it's a golden age of data. And I think that it begs the question. So there's so much data out there. There's so many good questions uh, for a website that we could easily spend, we could put as, as many people on a site as possible. And this poses a bit of a problem, I think, for agencies that charge by the hour. Because if I have someone on the team spend four hours doing an analysis because we think that there might be an issue, and at the end of that four hours, it's like, nope, doesn't look like there's any good evidence that we should really test this. This doesn't seem to be a problem. How do you bill for that four hours that uh, didn't really deliver to the bottom line? And uh, so I think that's why most CRO agencies charge by, uh, you know, a flat rate uh, as opposed to the hourly rate that you typically see with full service agencies. How does the good approach that and um, what's your thinking behind that? Well, we have what we call our conversion growth program, and this is a monthly 
program that people pay a flat rate to be on. We have different service levels, very much like a SaaS product. Can I buy you guys? Can I buy a few hours of you guys' time, of someone on your team's time at all? We no, we don't do anything by the hour. In fact, we don't even track time. Interesting. We don't either. So there'd be no way for us to bill by the hour, and that's intentional. When you become an expert, right? If you go to, let's say, a doctor's office, right? A lot of training and has gone into them getting that MD. They're not billing by the hour. You, you get charged for the office visit. And in the same way that if you are a site owner and you have specific conversion challenges, you need to find a conversion specialist on that. And it's understood that if you're hiring experts, that there's going to be a little higher rate there, perhaps. But also, you know, likely you just want your challenge fixed and you wonder how much that's going to cost. You're not really looking to, to pay by the hour. My whole point of view on this is that if you're charging by the hour, you still haven't reached that expertise status. And that's because, you know, you can't A, do value-based pricing, but really it's, um, for us, it's a matter of, we have a system. We have done this for long enough that we know what it takes on a monthly basis to move the needle. And we're able to, to charge a flat rate each month. And we know that, you know, I mean, we've been doing this for nine, 10 years now of, of pure CRO. And you look at that and you say, okay, well, we've been able to sustain this long that obviously we're, we're, we're making some margin on this. We have an ongoing business. And so it's less of a concern for me to bill by the hour and make sure that we're shoring everything up, every little detail of, you know, of that, as long as I feel like, you know, we've got a, a sustainable business that's making a margin that is helping accomplish that mission of removing all of those bad online experiences then I think we're moving in the right direction. And um, for me, it's just, you know, regardless from a, a business owner, entrepreneur standpoint, tracking time is, is just, in my view, fruitless as well, because let's be honest, most of the team members, and whenever I've had the track time, I've been in this boat too, in, in prior, prior jobs, it's Friday, I want to go out with my coworkers and get a drink or whatever, have a good time, I'm ready to get home for the weekend, whatever it is. And I'm filling out my timesheet in three minutes and it's for the whole week. And I'm trying to just guesstimate what I spent where and on who, what client and, and whatnot. So let, let's be honest, the information is probably not that accurate anyways. But we've, uh, we've uh, tracked time over periods just to collect some information to kind of understand if, you know, we're making sure that we're delivering the appropriate value and uh, the cost, the overhead of tracking time was so much higher than I thought. Um, I was really surprised at, at how much it costs to, to track at that level. So uh, we don't, we don't do that either. So how about pay for performance? Do you guys offer that? Have you ever worked with that? It's interesting. About once a week, I get asked if we'll do that methodology. We've done it a couple of times with pretty good success. I would love to do it more. Here's the challenge. As CRO becomes more and more popular and the CFO at these corporations starts to understand how this is calculated and what the potential is for them to have to pay us if we do well, as I think and I know that we can do, then it starts getting shot down at that level. So while the VP of Ecom looks at it and says, hey, this is great, we only have to pay you if you actually move the needle, then you get to that higher level who, who might be reviewing it in terms of overall budget, and it usually gets shot down there. 
the other side, the flip side of this is when it goes bad, it's going to go horribly bad. And a lot of that can be out of your control. So for instance, um, we did it once where a client just turned off all their ads. And so I was like, well, hold on. Like, you know, we had some agreement here that things weren't going to change in terms of your traffic generation. And they said, yeah, you know, but unfortunately the budget got moved out of that and there wasn't anything I could do. So we had to stop sending traffic for, for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden I was left with, you know, what we had done was going to hit the metrics to, to really be a nice win for us. But then without traffic, it's kind of hard to convert. And so the numbers weren't, didn't average out to what I would hope they would have been. I mean, there's supply chain issues. There's a whole bunch of issues that are out of your control. So, you know, I basically got to the point where I said, okay, even if I can get somebody to agree to this laundry list of pretty specific things that, that can't happen then it gets up to the CFO and then the CFO says no because you know they're like well I see that you guys could could make me millions and if you're going to get a percentage of that then it's going to be really really expensive exactly you become expensive pretty quickly so I, I haven't done as much of it I still struggle with it I would love to do more of it I'm interested in your thoughts on this for sure yeah we um so we don't do it we've tried it a, a couple of times in one situation it was exactly that we became very expensive and you know it's it's hard to come up with a a formula that's going to pay you fairly for the upside and also not limit your you know make sure that you're making money so in both cases it cost us a client in one case we were too expensive in the other case we actually struggled it was a, a site that had affiliate traffic so the traffic was changing month after month and so we would find a win and then we'd release it and then we wouldn't see the results of that very, very difficult. And so uh, ultimately we were like, well, we are struggling with this. We have to stop. So both in both cases, we lost a client. We have struggled with clients. And if we're on a regular payment, we're able to say, okay, well, let's go a couple more months. Um, we'll work for free for a couple more months because we clearly aren't hitting the goals that we wanted. And um, actually that, we, that happened with one of our clients uh, that has been with us now for almost six years. So that's why I think I prefer a, um, that's why I'm against the pay for performance and why we really don't entertain it anymore. And I think you, you know, made a great point that I don't want to let just slip by here. And, and that's that if you're continuing to provide value, conversion optimization could be something that goes on for six years and there might be ebbs and flows in that, but I, it's not a one-time engagement and we're done. And I think that's how a lot of customers are being sold it by the people who are not experts in CRO, who maybe are the SEO, SEM firms, or they're a digital marketing agency that has a bullet point on their website that says CRO in a mix of 20 other bullet points. And that's, you know, that's why we don't offer um, case studies. That's why we don't offer per test, you know, oh, we did this test and had a 92% increase because it brings in clients that are looking for magical solutions. They have kind of a magical thinking that, oh, these guys are going to work for three months. We're going to get 20% more revenue. And uh, this is a no-brainer for us. Doesn't doesn't work that way. It can work that way. But if you are desperate because your uh, the cost of your ads has gone above your, your target acquisition cost or your redesign has significantly impacted your revenue, if you're coming in in that mode, 
we're probably not the folks to help you. We can get you there in six months and then we can make you a hero in 12 months. But yeah, we do, we, we don't feature those. A lot of, uh, I see a lot of competing websites that really do feature test after test after test, 42%, 65%, 92%. Those are the ones that win. Um, and those are great wins. Good, good on them for getting those, those wins. Um, I hope that they're statistically significant. Um, it, it doesn't talk about the, the, the failure. I, I agree with that. And someone once asked me, how do you tell an expert CRO firm from somebody who doesn't really know it that well? And it's interesting you brought this up because I told them, look at the case studies they have on their site. Are they talking about individual tests? Are they talking about all a greater return on investment of the overall work that they've done? And if you look at the case studies and it's all about, you know, uh, we changed this button color and we got an X amount of revenue because of that, then you know they don't really know CRO, that they just can run an A-B test. And if you look at somebody who is talking about over the life of, of working with this client, we've seen an average return on investment of X. And here's some of the reasons and some of the ways we've gotten that. And this is the process that, that we would take you through. And in that explanation, it talks about how it's over several months. It's not a one-time engagement. And I think what problem that I've seen with the CRO industry or the expectations of clients who are looking at this industry and know they have a pain there and a need is they keep seeing people who are not experts in CRO tout that, hey, give me, give me $100,000, I'll fix your website. And it's like, well, this isn't a one-time engagement. This is something that needs to be done and tested over, over several months. And those tests need to build upon each other, right? It's not just disparate tests, right? You're building a test that has hypotheses that then once you, that test has, has reached statistical significance, you're looking for what's the next step of that test. What did you learn from that? What can you, what can you try next that leverages that knowledge? We call our test winners and learners. Oh, that's nice. That's new for me. Right? Because even if a test doesn't have the outcome we intended, we're going to learn something from that. Yeah, we always say that. And, and, and it, is so, it is so true. There is a, there is a bias, There's a, the survivorship bias. We, we tend to like winners better than losers. <laughs> we remember the winners <laughs> better than the losers. And, uh, you know, it does show up sometimes in our analysis, like when we're doing a, a six-month review and here's, here's what's happened. We do almost exclusively focus on the, the, the winning, those, those series of tests that really uh, hit a vein of gold and improved things. And so it's real bias. And really, that's what all we're doing is we're trying to quiet that mass of biases that sits between our ears, that three pound mass of biases that sit between our ears and let the data sink in and help us make decisions because uh, it is, uh, even for those of us, uh, in our case, that put on the lab coats and sit down and do this, it's always there. It never goes away. Well, I've always appreciated that about your approach and how you market and talk about yourselves in, in a scientific method, right? Because this is a scientific method and it's not unlike somebody sitting down at a workbench in a lab and having to be very precise with their measurements, having to analyze everything, look at the data and not be biased about it. It's very, very similar to that. It is a scientific industry. If you're truly doing conversion optimization, there's more science than there is anything else. 
We think so. We think so. And uh, I'm, I'm sensitive to scaring folks off because I really do believe, number one, that all marketers are going to have to have these skills. And for those that came from a more creative or communications oriented side and um, don't have an interest or confidence in statistics and scientific method and things like that. I don't want them to think that they can't do this because we all are already wired for this behavioral science. We know how to use other people's behaviors to help us make decisions in our life. Facebook posts, um, New York Times bestseller lists, Rotten Tomatoes freshness scores. We we know how to, to, to do this. And conversion optimization is hard, but I think that the more people that start experimenting today, they're going to, number one, be a better marketer. Number two, they're going to make better decisions about whether I'm going to bring conversion optimization in-house or if I'm going to call up one of these yahoos on the podcast and uh, see what happens with, with them. Um, so I don't want to scare anybody off with the science, but probably the best illustration is when I started, I was doing pure consulting and I was doing best practices recommendations. So things that I had tried that worked, research that I was reading and I was telling people to go do these best practices and taking my check and and hoping that they are able to go off and implement those. We didn't have to do A-B testing for very long before we realized how many of these best practices, tried and true, this is just, this is just a better idea, turn out not to work in, in, in certain situations. And I think that humility is the hallmark of someone who gets it. If someone comes in and says, oh, yeah, our team's going to figure it out and we're going to know, uh, I would tend to favor, and this is biased, of course, I would tend to favor someone who has a process for making those decisions rather than, you know, I'm creative and I've done this a long time and I know what to try first. Well, I think you hit it on the head. That was when you first started out. You were doing that. And then you learned as you gained expertise over time, what is truly sustainable and what works. And I often say this too, is that best practices are for beginners. Oh, I like that. Because you can go out and get that checklist of best practices on Google and try to implement it. And may you move the needle a little bit, perhaps? Is it going to be sustainable? Unlikely. Well, uh, if we were to give advice, just to kind of sum things up, uh, I think that I need conversion optimization. What would you consider kind of a threshold for hiring a team? Most of us talk in terms of traffic, but really the issue is how many conversions you're getting. So let's say for an e-commerce site, how what do you think of the minimum number of transactions I should be processing a month to say that I'm ready for a conversion optimization program that involves, when you say with and without A-B testing, but where would, what would you recommend? Well, I think this is a math equation. And how I look at this is that you have to have enough conversions happening in enough margin where if we were to increase that we would get you a return on your investment with us so this is and, and i say this because it's not a tried and to just a number that i can put on that and and it's because of the fact that we've worked with sites that like we've worked with mastercraft boats their boats hundred thousand dollars a boat if i get them to sell two three extra boats we've easily paid for ourselves and if I get them to sell 10 extra boats, then they've gotten a really good return on their investment, I would think, better than most marketing. But there needs to be a margin there. They happen to have a pretty good margin business. They've been in it for a long time, know what they're doing, have it pretty efficient. But then we've also worked with you know companies that are selling clothing at a 10% margin that you know have to sell $5,000, $25 baseball caps to even be able to pay for a month of our services. 
So it really does matter what's the price point, what's the margin, and can you get that return on investment? Now, the reason most people look at traffic, as you well know, is because it's hard to reach statistical significance on these tests without enough traffic to be able to opt into the tests and, and go through them. So typically, you know, everyone has their number of traffic they want. You know, we typically look at having at least 40,000 monthly visitors. That's typically where we'd want to play, which is a fairly low number, I think. Uh, a lot of agencies have that much, much higher. Our program, we try to make it accessible to, to those medium-sized businesses as well. And so our lowest service level, you have to have at least 40,000 visitors. But it's more of a return on investment conversation that I try to lead people through when I first chat with them. And I think that's a great point. So if you have a, a product that either has a really high order value, even if you're doing lead generation, or if your e-commerce store has relatively high order values at a good profit margin, if you're getting 50% profit on an average order value of $315, then small changes, small increases in your conversion rate pay for themselves much more quickly. And that's probably the return on investment time is probably most directly related to the amount of the value of a conversion, the value of a lead or the value of a, of a sale online. And then beyond that, um, there's, it, it is a math equation. And actually we have a calculator that you can use, uh, enter the amount of traffic you're getting, the number of transactions that you're uh, getting a month and the average order value. And it'll show you what, what sort of an increase would deliver like a hundred thousand dollars in bottom line avenue, uh, annual revenue and show you what it would do at 10%, 15% and so on. So you can make a decision that's, you know, I'm going to give these guys X amount of money. How quickly am I going to make that back? And how much more am I going to make that back? Because our value proposition is pretty awesome. Hire us. And I mean, you and I both hire us and we're going to go find the money to pay for ourselves and a whole bunch more. That's exactly right. And I think you made another good point there, Brian, which is that it's not just based on conversion rates. So many people come to us and say, my goal is to increase my conversion rate. And what they're talking about is number of sales, the ultimate conversion. But there are so many other factors there. There's average order value. Like there's a lot that can be done with conversion optimization as a, as a practice to increase your average order value, which can sometimes be even more valuable. Going back to like MasterCraft, the add-ons there are ad nauseum. I mean, you can have, there's 30,000 configurations on one boat, right? So you could just keep adding on the trailer and the special stitching and the, you know, all these other things, the upgraded stereo system. If you could help make, help people to make a better decision about what upgrades they want, and that leads to a higher average order value, then that could be almost just as valuable as selling another boat. And for your apparel example, if I have people who are buying, if someone buys from me and I can expect three or four orders from them a year, I don't really want to look at that first order value. I want to look at their long-term value and apply that to the, uh, the decision of making around whether I'm investing in conversion or if I'm investing in more traffic. Yep. Average lifetime value or customer lifetime value matters just as much. For sure. Well, I certainly don't want anybody reaching out to you because you are a direct competitor, <laughs> but uh, you're a good competitor. And so I think that makes all of us stronger. Where can our audience reach out to you, uh, learn more about what you do, and uh, maybe ask some questions if they have any? Yeah, sure. So you can be found at thegood.com, T-H-E-G-O-O-D.com. Pretty simple. And then I can be emailed directly at John, J-O-N, at thegood.com with any follow-up questions. And Brian, I do appreciate you having me. I know we've uh, 
we've been in the same industry together for quite some time, but we both agree there's there's plenty to go around. There's so much need to fulfill our missions and um, still a lot of work to be done out there. Amen, brother. Amen. So best of luck to you and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me today. When you get back to the office, I recommend that you get an understanding of how small increases in your conversion rate can affect your bottom line income. Go out and search for Conversion Sciences Calculator using your favorite search engine, Conversion Sciences Calculator. One of the links will turn up uh, is our Upside Calculator, and there you can enter your average monthly traffic, the average number of conversions you get a month, and the value of a conversion. This is the average transaction order value if you're an e-commerce site or the value that you place on a lead or a subscriber. Now, if you aren't sure about these values, don't worry. You can play what if with the numbers after entering your name and email. It's the first step towards understanding if your business is ready for conversion optimization. If you like what you see there, you can give us a call for a free conversion consultation. Now, go science something.